We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We're dealing with the privilege of Jesus and the apostles, right? And with particular emphasis to the fact that Jesus and the apostles enjoyed the privilege or the benefit of angelic ministration, right? And we stopped last week at the fact that you will judge angels. And then I took time to emphasize how you cannot be struggling with petty things in church. When the growth that is expected of you is the growth of people that will, as sons of God, you will judge angels. And I said by explaining what angels are, what they are not, by explaining our relationship with them and what we should not do with them, it leaves the road clear for us to understand the ministry of angels. Do you remember that? So I'll just wrap that up. Is that okay? Okay, so Jesus enjoyed the privilege of angelic ministration. Psalm 103, verse 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. 21. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Look at the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, from verse 5 or so. Then the devil took him up. Go back, pick, pick from verse 1. I need, I need a few verses down, but pick from verse 1 for, for context. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. God tempts no man. Let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God. But God led Jesus to be tempted. Well, by the devil. <laughs> so God didn't tempt Jesus. Do you understand? Because the devil does God's dirty work. Isn't that what happened with Job? God made a boast on Job. Job paid the price. <laughs> because a very interesting story. Satan comes as per normal. You know, he comes normally. Yeah? Daily. God asks him how far. He says, yeah, just, you know, checking things out to make sure everything is going okay. It was God that now said, you didn't notice Job. It wasn't Satan that came and said, eh, I found a Job. It was God that said, didn't you notice Job? And Satan was like, eh, does he fear you for nothing? Who looked for trouble? So he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Because God doesn't tempt anybody. <laughs> Did God tempt Jesus? No. Was Jesus tempted? Who was behind it? Satan was not behind it. Satan did it. Who was behind it? Who sent him to be tempted? You're afraid not to answer. It is there in the verse now. Be, be confident. Start the verse over the top. Then Jesus, okay, give us TPT. Afterwards, okay. The Holy Spirit <laughs> led Jesus into the lonely area. Into the <laughs> You have to add lonely there for emphasis. Into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to pass a test because 
God knew he had to have known that Jesus would pass. No, because no test is designed to kill you. But when sons are tested, it is to bring out the strength of their conviction. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? That's it. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. TPT. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity nature and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. So it turns out, people, that most times when we're going through stuff in life, what you are thinking is the resolution of the problem. It's not the resolution. You want the problem to end. God wants a process in your life to end. So you're going through a tough time and you just want it to be over and done with. And if it doesn't work, you feel like God failed you. But God's interest is not in what you're going through as it were. It's in what, what you are going through processes in you. Does that make sense? In other words, the end of a hard time is marked by the expiration or the conclusion of the work of that hard time in your life. It is dangerous to pray for a hard time to finish prematurely. You will write that test again. Are you here? You will write it again. Count it all joy, James 1.3, when you go through diverse temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith walketh Patience, therefore, verse 4, James 1 and 4 now, let patience have its full work, King James, or perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking. So when you're going through a tough time, it's not very wise to say, God, why me? You know why it's not wise to say that? Because it's normal. First John 10, 13. No temptation that has befallen you. I was counseling somebody a few days ago who lost someone. And they've been quite bitter that the person died, you know. I mean, we've seen that God brings people back to life. Why didn't God bring her back to life? And usually it's difficult to deal with grief, you know. And the family was distraught. You know, they're not here. They're not in this city. And the family was distraught and some of them had given up. You know how your faith is generally not worth anything until it has been tested. You can't say you have faith until your faith has been tested. I've said over and over, the net worth of your relationship with God is what is left after it has been tested. You know, if you, if, if you, ever, if you ever got paid a salary, you have your gross or gross pay, and then you have your net pay. The one you are taking home is your net. After the deductions that you never see, you're paying health insurance at work if you have a good job. And then when you're sick, you're not going to stop pastor. Oh, something will happen to you. <laughs> so your net is what you take home after everything has been removed, including the contributions that you do. You know, contributions that are nice only when it's your turn to collect. Yes, or when you are in 10 people and you collected as number two. 
Who knows what I'm talking about? There's three, there's four, there's five, there's six, there's seven, there's eight, there's nine, there's ten, then there's one before you. You want to die. And you will grumble every month that you paid the contribution. But you didn't grumble when you received your share. So the net worth of your relationship with God is what is remaining after it has been tested. That's why you know you have faith. Anybody can have faith and go, oh yeah, hallelujah. God is good, you know. I overcame. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hey, hallelujah. Let the shout of rejoicing feed this house until life hits you. When life hits you in the face, you become like Job's wife. Job's wife typifies the average Christian reaction to tribulation. You are still holding on to your faith. Cause God and die. God is only as useful to you as the good he used to do for you. That's what Job's wife was implying. Why are you hanging on to God when God has let you down? Because you see, unfortunately, a lot of us only love Jesus when he has been good to you. God is good. He has done me well, oh my soul. Rise up and praise, enjoy me and praise and love. Rise up ah, until life comes knocking on your door. Then we know if in your life God is good. Because God is good. Not because he does good. It is from him being good that he does good. It's not the good things he does that make him good. It is out of the goodness of his nature that he does good. So life will hit you in the face and then the voice of Job's wife comes. Curse God and die. That's pointless. Are you hanging on? But even when Job had no understanding, he said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I will state my case before him. Even when he had no understanding, he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Even though it was not the Lord that took. No, the Lord does not give and take. A man said, because life was peppering him. But if you read Job 1, it wasn't God that took. He doesn't take. So when you are tested, what comes out of you? God allows you to be tested. So that the testing can work patience. Sometimes there's one thing you're boasting that the Lord wants to resolve. Sometimes there's one person that you have become, has become a God to you that the Lord wants to correct. Sometimes there's a level of dependency you have refused to develop on God that he wants to teach you. So they went, why didn't God raise up from the dead? Why is it so tough? And I took them to a scripture in Acts where it says, I think in Acts 16 or somewhere, where it says that, and there was such persecution and Herod took James and killed him. And when he saw that he pleased the Jews, just for pleasure, he proceeded to take Peter as well. To kill Peter and keep feeding the, the pleasure of the Jews. And I asked them, I said, where was God when James was beheaded? Because if you're angry at God that he didn't raise your own dead from the dead, then all the church should be angry that all the apostles died. Because all the apostles died. None of them died nicely. Timothy, good boy Timothy, fine boy Timothy, was clubbed to death publicly because there was a procession in honor of, Prince of the, the um, goddess Diana that he came out preaching the gospel against. 
And they got upset and they gathered him out in the street and they clubbed him to death, beat him to pulp. And later on, his disciples came and gathered his body and buried decently on a mountain. Timothy, beloved Timothy. Peter crucified upside down because Peter said he was, not, he was not worthy to die the way Jesus died. So when they were going to crucify Peter at his death, he said they should turn him upside down. John the beloved, Thomas in India. Thomas is credited with taking the gospel to the whole India region. So for those of you that keep calling him Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas. His crime was that he hadn't seen, so he refused to believe. But at the time he saw, he believed. He stopped doubting. Jesus told him, he said, now you see and therefore you believe. He has believed. <laughs> has he not believed? You no, know, you know, agree. Doubting Thomas. Single-handedly took the gospel to India. The whole Far East region was created with Thomas. And so you go through testing and it can be hard, but it's for your good. You might not see it now, but you don't have to. You just have to trust that he who is behind it has your best interest at heart. No matter how painful it is. That was just a by the way for somebody. Can we continue? We're in Matthew 4.1, right? That was just Matthew 4.1. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Eight. Again, the devil took him up an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Nine. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Which is exactly what Christians are doing today. Yeah. Worshipping for things. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See verse 11, which is where I'm going. And the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Tipity. And once the accuser left him, and angels suddenly gathered around Jesus to minister to his needs. Have you seen the ministry of angels? The message. The test was over, the devil left, and in his place, angels. Angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. See the same thing in Mark 1.13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days. I'll talk about this another day. Tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered to him. Mark puts this angelic ministration during the 40-day fasting period. Matthew puts it at the end of the fasting day and temptation period. What matters for today's conversation is that angels ministered to him. Another account of angels ministering to Jesus is found in Luke 22. Luke 22, 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Other parts in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, it talks about how he prayed and his, his sweat was as drops of blood, right? Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So angels have a ministry to strengthen the sons. Are you saying that? Look at the apostles in Acts 27. I love this story in Acts 27, verse 21. I, Alexander Victor, have angels at my beck and call. If they were good enough for my elder brother, good enough for me. If they served him, they served me. This is Paul speaking. Acts 27, from verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them. This is when these guys were on the ship that eventually shipwrecked on Malta. After two weeks of being pummeled by the storms. In the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you. 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve. Go on. Saying, so the angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. In other words, everybody who was sailing with Paul, even his jailers were safe because of Paul. Do you understand? People who were guarding Paul, the, the prisoner. They were safe because of Paul. In fact, God granted them to Paul. An angel appeared to him and said, let's tie this up with Hebrews 1, 14. We established in the last two weeks that angels cannot teach doctrine. Whatever they speak must be consistent with God's word, rightly divided in the light of Christ. Go back and let me pick this from, from verse 1. God, who at various times, various ways, spoke in time past, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in this last day spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who, talking about the son now, being the brightness of his image, of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, don't you share in his inheritance. You are a joint heir with the son. So that means the inheritance of Jesus is yours. If you have the inheritance of Jesus, you have obtained a more excellent name than the angels. Does that make sense? This is further buttressed in the next verse. Verse 5 then goes on to say, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Flip TPT in verse 5. For God has never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my favorite son. Today I have fathered you. And also this, I will be the father to him and he will be the son to me. So King James asked it as a rhetorical question. To which angel did God say, You are my son? TPT answers it that no such angel has that privilege. Make sense? So, chapter 1 of Hebrews, the writer starts to argue for the divinity of Jesus as the son of God. Greater than angels, and then greater than the prophets, and then later on, greater than the law and the old covenant. So, it was just an argument for the quality 
of the Son of God. Does that make sense? So bear that in mind as we look at this. So it says, to which of the angels did he say, you are my son? Verse 6. When he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So when the son manifested, we said over and over, Jesus Christ is the explanation of God. So there was a dimension of God that the angels never saw until Christ was made manifest. Does that make sense? So in Luke, you see where the shepherds were being announced the, the birth of Jesus. And angels showed up worshiping. Because Jesus gave face to God. So angels are around his throne, but all they see is light. Unapproachable light. God dwells in unapproachable light. Who no one has seen nor can see. That, that, doesn't, ex- that doesn't exclude the angels. Huh, are you hearing me today? Because there will be a problem if angels that are inferior to me have a better view of God than I do. I might as well stop being a son and be an angel. Yeah, because an angel didn't even choose. An angel's sins were not forgiven. An angel is not in the image of God. And an angel can see God for who God is. Why are we struggling with sonship? Please, why are they signing up for angels? Who's with me? Yeah, might as well just even reserve angel. I don't mind. I don't, do you understand? Angels that fight, angels that sing, then third category, angels that do nothing. I'm fine. Because even at the least angelic form, I have more advantage than a human being. If I can see God in a way that humans who are his sons cannot see. And I hope this is putting it in perspective for somebody. So angels began to appreciate God better when God appeared to men. God did not appear to angels. God appeared to men and angels jumped in. That's why sons of God don't sing, angels are singing. No, it's the angels that are singing. The sons are singing. The worship angels give God means nothing to him or us. If angelic worship was all that mattered, he would not seek worshipers in truth and spirit. Just look at your Bible holy, completely. Let the whole scripture open up before your eyes. Why would God be seeking worshipers in truth and spirit and sending Jesus to ensure those worshipers if angelic worship is fine? Because trust me, no human being can ever sing as good as an angel. No human being can play anything like the cherubs. Fantastic musicians. The 24 elders, one with Revelation, fantastic musicians. They play harps. Equivalent of keyboards and orchestra today. The 24 elders. Quintessential musicians. Why then is God looking for humans, as it were, to worship him if angelic worship, or let's put it this way, celestial worship is good enough? And then you now reduce the volume of your servitude of God because you are afraid of an angel who waited until you saw God for them to see God. Are you following me? So until Jesus was born, they worshiped God inanimately. Does that make sense? They worship God just knowing he is God. Hearing his thunderings, lightnings, earthquakes. That's not how sons know God. Ah.
That's how strangers know God. It's strangers that hear the announcement of God in thunder and lightnings and earthquakes. Sons know him in the sun. Do you understand? And even in the old covenant, if God wanted to speak in a man, he didn't go through thunder and lightning and earthquake. Those things appeared to Elijah. God was not there until the still small voice signifying fellowship, not intimidation. God is not your neighborhood bully. Fellowship. Why will he come down in the cool of the day to converse with man in the garden? Why? So God got identity as it were in the earth in the manifestation of Jesus. Angels could now see God that they always worshipped in Jesus. Not because God was interested in them seeing him, but because God wanted us to see him. And because angels have always desired to look into these things. This, wow, look at God in the song. So then they worshipped with angels because none of them saw God. Neither the Old Testament guys nor the angels. Does that make sense? Now we, sons, angels worship with us because we see Jesus. Are you following me? We see Jesus. We see Jesus. Beholding with unveiled faces as in a mirror. The glory of God are being changed into the same image. We see God in Jesus. Hebrews 2 and 9. But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. We behold the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. God who has caused light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the where? Face of Jesus. Face of Jesus. Knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. So in Exodus 34, when Moses said, show me your glory, God said, you cannot see my face because at that time, Moses could not see Jesus. Because the glory is in the face of Jesus. So when Moses said, show me your glory, what God had was show me Jesus. So God replied to Moses and said, you cannot see my face. Why are you asking for New Testament glory in the Old Testament? Are you following me? So God said, you can't see my face. This is not the dispensation in which the son will be made manifest. But I'll show you other things about my glory that have nothing to do with his manifestation just yet. So look into eternity past. I'll pass by you and you can see my back, but you will not see my face. You can see what has been, but you cannot handle what is coming. Because you, where you are and what has been is the same dispensation. Where you are, and what has been is the same dispensation. So I can show you the same dispensation yesterday. But to show you my face is to show you the New Testament. And this cannot handle it. What is Genesis called? First book of? Moses. Who wrote Genesis? In what book was Moses born? How did he write Genesis? I repeat. Genesis is called the first book of? Who wrote the book of Genesis? In what book was, Genesis, was Moses born? Exodus. 
Who wrote Genesis? Was Moses there in Genesis? How did he write it? Because he saw the back of God. As God flashed by him in Exodus 34, he saw everything about God that had happened up till that time. He just could not see what will happen after the cross. Are you following me? So he comes and sits down and he writes, in the beginning, God. Why? Moses journeyed to the beginning in the back of God. Moses was not writing reported speech. Do you understand? Moses went there. Moses went to the beginning in God's back. And he wrote. Wrote the entire Genesis account. Wrote about the flood. Wrote about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Moses wrote about his birth. Not from what his parents told him. From what, from what God showed him. That's why it's dangerous to limit everything about what you know to information. Paul was not there at the Last Supper when Jesus took the cup and the bread. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells them, I deliver to you that which I received directly from the Lord. So Paul was not writing about Holy Communion because Matthew and Mark wrote. In fact, they hadn't written when Paul wrote. Revelation every time trumps information. So, so Moses sees the back of God. So he comes down. Imagine watching like Empire ended. Let me follow the TV series Empire. I do because of what I do. Yeah. And it ended in a rush. And Empire ended up, ended, ended, ended leaving you wanting more. So many loose ends, you know, things just don't work. So you, you, and you, you ended and you're frustrated because they've taken you on a journey you have become pals. I loved another one I was watching a few years ago, Jane the Virgin. It was really cool. Very, very entertaining and very, very incredible storyline. And then they just rush to the end and she marries Raphael and it ended very cliche. And you're like, is that it? You know, that's it. But hey, I'm not the director of the movie. The thing ends. It is what it is. The point I'm trying to make is the guys have cashed out. They are doing well. We are here feeling frustrated that they didn't end it the way they ought to have ended it. Because we know that there's more. Stay with me now. But as much as we enjoyed the storyline, we know that there's more. I'm sitting and waiting for Last Kingdom to return. I wonder why it's taking so long to return because he who tried to come back and do a few things here and there. The point I'm making is it's been beautiful so far, but with what should have been, what could have been, what, what should have been, this pales in comparison to what this, I mean, we could have done a thousand things with this storyline. We could have gone here. We could have gone ten more seasons. We could have flipped something here and done more. And because there's so much more I know was possible with this, I'm not exactly satisfied with that, even though it was cool. And Moses sees all into the beginning. He saw all the seasons of God. So everything from behind that there was to see about God. And he was sad because he knows there's more that he can't see. So yes, season one was good. Beginning was good. You know, Noah and the Ark, Adam, Eve, and all of that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those, all those things that have happened in the, in the series called God are fantastic. But there's a lot more that can and will be that I will not be able to see. So while he comes down and he's being worshipped for what he saw, Moses is crying for what he couldn't see. 
So he covers his face. And Israel thinks his face is covered because he's shining. And Paul tells us Moses covered his face because what he, even the little he saw was fading away. Because Moses saw God without seeing his face. Moses saw God without seeing Jesus. But we. Without a veil. We see God as he was. As he is. As he ever shall be. Now. So it's not me that is praying. Oh God of Moses. No sir. It's Moses then that would have been praying. Oh God of Pav. Because these were things that his pay grade could not afford him the ability to see. And we see. With unveiled faces. We see God in the person of Christ. And now angels join us to see. And what they see is a little. Because you see our optics. uh, I remember that teaching you are what you see. Our optics. The brain behind our optics. I taught you how it's not what when a human being sees. It's not what you see. There are protons in your eye. that It's actually your brain that sees. So when you, when you see something, when you set your eyes on something, there are protons that go out of your eyes that actually transmit those colors and those light responses to your brain. It's your brain that tells your eye what you saw was black. It's not your eye. So a, a, a lot of what we give credit to the eye for is overrated. Does that make sense? In other words, your eye is blind without your brain. Your brain is what coordinates and processes the optics that informs you that this thing is yellow. Does that make sense? But your eye by itself cannot see. I've taught this in a series. You are what you see, part one and two. Your eyes by itself cannot see. Your eye is just a conduit to receive information for your brain to process and tell you what your eye received. Does that make sense? The same thing applies to your spirit as a child of God. First Corinthians 2. You, you have the spirit of God so that you can see the mind of God. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So there is a scene that the angels saw and that we see both the visible explaining the invisible. But the thing that gives us advantage over the angels, and I said this last week, is that they do not have the spirit of God in them. So there is the mind of the father that they will never know. And that places me above them. Because the spirit of God is not resident in angels. Angels are spirits of their own accord. Governed by the spirit of God. Sons of God contain the spirit of God. Does that make sense? So the brain box of God is resident in man who believes. The brain box, go and listen to the teaching series, the word, the power, and the believer, part one and two. The brain box of God is resident in a son of God. So angels have seen the face of God in Christ, but sons of God know God in Christ. That's why angels serve us. Because no angel can stand before you and harass you and make you feel like they know God more than you do. They don't. So who then instructs who? Angel instructing me. 
or me who has the mind of God instructing angel. Worship is going on me stopping for angel to pass or angel stopping for me to pass. You do the math. Because if you see angels as mighty beings, and they are, but do not see them in their position, you will allow religion and fear to cheat you. And Paul deals with that. I showed you that last week, Colossians 2. Don't allow yourself to be deceived into the worship of angels. Angels are not to be worshipped. They're nowhere close. For to which of the angels did he say, you are my son? But now are we the sons of God? So who should be giving who instruction? Who should be afraid of who? Don't move around. Don't move. Don't move. There are angels here. So what? So what happens? If angels here, they should do their business and sit down or fly back or shut up. Angels don't show up and take over a meeting where sons are gathered. Sons. Sons of God. Gathered in a meeting. Angels. Are they terrorists? Come and take over a meeting. And let's stop it. Stop. Stop. Angels are here. No. Angels are here because we summoned them. And they're here because they serve us. Oh, and then you go, well, Paul, what are you saying? Hebrews 1.14. Same chapter, right? To which of the angels did he say? Verse 5, 6. And then see verse 14. Are they, referring to angels, right? Are they not all ministering, ministering service, diaconia? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to do what? TPT. What role then do the angels have? The angels are spirit messengers sent by God to serve those who are going to be saved. Now let me just put a disclaimer there. The theology of being saved in this verse doesn't refer to people who are unsaved and therefore need to be brought into salvation. But it refers to those who are saved, soteria, and are being sozoed. Yeah? He's able to save Hebrew saints to the uttermost. Right? So we are saved, we are being saved, we shall be saved. So it's a finished work, but it's a complete work, but it's being perfected. In other words, my salvation is complete, but it's perfected when he returns for the church. Otherwise, there would have been no, there would have been no need for the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee and as a seal, as a deposit for that coming inheritance. I've talked about this before. So when it says there, are they not ministering spirits sent to minister as heirs? Angels don't go to minister to an unsaved person to be saved. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he shall convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of conviction. No angel can convict. Are you guys getting this? Especially where everything is hopis copies. <laughs> you know? Everything must be mystical. The Lord showed me a mighty angel behind you. Careful, careful. If the angel is behind me, the angel should catch me. It's the angel that should be careful to make sure I don't dash my foot against the stone. Hmm. Because how would the angel explain to my father that the boy you were sent to nanny fell and broke his head? How you want to tell Oga? So who's supposed to be afraid? No, it's, it's a nanny. A driver threatening me that he would tell my pops, I went out with the car. Try it. You will lose your job. You will not know how you lost it. You just wake up and realize you are jobless. Because if you set me up for driving the car, I will set you up for everything that has gone wrong in that house. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
especially the kind of sisters I have, my sisters, they can manufacture a convincing story in less than 30 seconds that everybody hearing will believe is true. And you that is speaking the truth will be passed out as the lie. So you driver or housemaid, report me to my father. You are dead. Because if soup spoil, it's you that spoiled it. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? If Nepa took light, it's you that took it. <laughs> if somebody fat, is you that fat. It's you. You will come back and beg and say, I'm not fighting again. Who knows what I'm talking about? Oh, oh no. You, you, you come and apologize to the little minion <laughs> that you think you can run over. You can only do that to a child that doesn't know the rights the child has. You beg. You will beg. Mommy, I saw her eating the second time. You are dead. <laughs> do you understand the picture I'm painting? Mommy says morning till now she has no bath. She's why the whole street is smelly. Um, it's true. I could even as I came in, I could just. So what will an angel say to God? I came into their service, and then the pastor was not afraid of me. He now say that they should mind be careful. I'm, I'm here. And God who has the angel has what? But he has what? That we are holding a worship meeting. Or a, a legislature like this, and angels come and we should stop because our nannies are arriving. Let's all stand up on our feet and receive our house helps and maintain one minute of silence. Us all our security, our nannies, our I don't mean any disrespect to those that, that class of people. I'm just using what exists to show you. Of course, you know me, I, I don't discriminate at all. I don't. But that's the measure to which you are afraid. Be careful, be careful, be careful. There are gate men here. <laughs> so, so, let's all, let's all be quiet. My, my gate mouth arrive. If you move around, that's how he will slap you. Because they are mighty beings. Have you seen those big guys? Bouncers are big and scary. Their duty is to ensure that we don't stop him doing what he's doing but we ensure he doesn't get hurt doing it. Are you following me? The bouncer has no right to say, Sir, boss, if you take off the stage one more time, you're going to get it. They can't say that. They can't dare say that. And these guys are ever patient. Their eyes scanning where he might end up. There are times where has jumped and did not know where he will land. But he knew that it is somebody's business to catch him. Yes. Satan knew that much when he taunted Jesus. Yeah. His angels have charge over you. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, what do you stand to lose? It was reality Satan was using to tempt Jesus. He was trying to make it Look to Jesus as though it's nothing serious. Satan was not lying. Please don't think he was lying. Because Satan's temptations were scripture based. He wasn't lying. 
What he was hoping for was that Jesus would feel like, yeah, you know, actually, come to think of it. What's the big deal? If I jump, angels will catch me. So what's the big deal? But the, it was an obedience test. So that if Jesus had done it simply because Satan said, he would have abdicated authority to Satan. Not because God would have folded his arms and said, I didn't send you, you will crash and die. No way. Angels would have caught Jesus. Jumping to the prompting of the accuser, angels would have still caught him and borne him up. Lest you think that if Jesus had jumped, he would have been on his own. No, sir. It was only one Sunday, no, if or no die. Are you following me? Only begotten son, then he will not have touched the ground. He won't. And that is how he's able to also keep you. All the times you do stupid things. Even though we show up and feel like, yeah, I'm good. But we, we know how many times we have jumped. So jump off the stage. And he knows that there's around here, by virtue of our stage plan, there is supposed to be an angel here. He doesn't have to shout and pray. Bouncers, 20 degrees latitude, 5 degrees longitude, incoming. Who knows what I'm saying? In 3, 2, 1. No. He just goes. And he knows by design. Somebody should catch me here. And even if I were here, the proximity between here and there means that somebody should be in the vicinity of this place to catch me. If you're in a particular place and you make a phone call, they dispatch to you the people in the immediate vicinity to where you are. He gives his angels charge over you. You will not fall. You don't have to see the angel. But that's what they're there for. Are you listening to me? And then if you begin to reflect, you realize that there's been so much ministry of angels in your life already. You had no idea. They are called to serve us. How does the NLT put this? Hebrews 1.14. Called to serve us. Angels are only servants. Spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So when did servants become masters? When? Angels do his bidding. His bidding is contained in his will. Sons know his will. Angels do his bidding. His bidding is contained in his will. Sons know his will. Therefore, angels serve sons. Angels serve sons. I said last week, I repeat again, without sons, angels have nothing to do. Go go and check every time in the Old Testament that angels appeared. What were they appearing to champion? The gospel. That's assignment. Go and check. Go and check. From Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus references them later when they appeared to Abraham. That same dispensation. To Hagar, two covenants. Hagar, Isaac, law, grace, free woman, bond woman. Go and check every time. To Samson, deliverer of people in oppression. Check Gideon, deliverer to people in oppression. 
Joseph, check every time in the Old Testament an angel appeared to Balaam. Numbers 23. God has not observed iniquity in Jacob or trespasses in Israel. Who can curse a people whom God has blessed? It was the cross on display in Numbers 23. Every time there was angelic ministration, go and check who they were serving. They were serving the purpose of redemption. Go and check. Every time angels appeared, they were passing a message that is linked, that though visible, was bringing about what was at that point invisible. Go and check. So without sonship, there's nothing for angels to do. They have nobody to serve. Remember the speakable me? The me... The minions, you know, the minions are there and they, of a necessity, the minions need somebody to serve. So the minions are going around looking for a master. They killed some. Remember the one that went off the stone at the, <laughs> at the beginning and died the dragon that hung over the, the precipice and fell into the fire? And the minions were depressed and sad frozen over because they had no master. Picture angels like that. We keep them busy. So they are are on perpetual deployment over the matter of those who are inheriting salvation. And my name is top of that list. I don't know about your name. I I can't say I saw your name in the list, but... But my name is not just there. My name is at the top of that list. Once you see firstborn, Jesus Christ, secondborn, you see my name. Straight. All your names follow under my name. Who's allowing, who's, who's accepting that? No, you can, you can sit down and don't speak for yourself. But me, speak for myself. I, I, I saw it. My name is A. I, and because I'm a favorite son of God. Do you understand? Me, I'm a very, very special son. Right under Jesus' name. You just, you just see my name. What do you say? Jesus is J. He's the firstborn. Doesn't matter what alphabet. In fact, in, in Greek, his name, is, is the first letter starts with L. Leosos. That's, you didn't know that. Hold, hold the J carefully. <laughs> Don't hold the J too tight. Because <laughs> he was first level source before he was translated, transliterated Jesus in the Greek. So calm down. The point is after Jesus' name, my, the next name is on that list. My name. And then your names can then follow around there. But thank God we are all equal sons of God. So if they serve you, they serve me. They serve me, they serve you. So that's the confidence you have. That I have the benefit of angelic ministration. I said and I repeat, we don't pray to them. We don't worship them. We don't look to see them. In fact, for the most part, it's not granted to us to see them. But the fact that we can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Just in the same way, the fact that you can't see your mind doesn't mean you don't have one. Remember remember that illustration? I asked you how many of you here have a mind. You raised your hand up. And I asked you, how many of you here can see your mind? I said, show me your mind. Nobody could. So do we now conclude that you do not have a mind because you can't see it? How do you get convinced that you don't have a mind? You have a mind. 
It is your mind. You know it. But you can't see it. It's intangible, but it's more tangible than what it's tangible. And I told you that's a good way to engage atheists. Who say there's no God? If there's God, where is he? If you have a mind, where's your mind? You don't have emotions. You can't claim to have emotions. No, but I have emotions. I cry, I weep. I cry. You can't do that. Don't stop it. You can't. You don't have emotions. But I know, I feel it as surely as I know myself. That I have emotions, I have a mind. Oh, really? As surely as I know. There is God. There is God. Oh. There is God. Oh. And to save me, Naoli, Wakako. Holy. As surely as I know, there is God. He's, he's revealed in the visible things. Like, come and come and see that. Oh, Pav, you know, I met an atheist today. When he was finished with me, I wasn't sure. I will slap you. Atheism, in the very fundamental sense of it, is rooted in the gross desire to discredit what is. Not to prove that it isn't. In the fundamental desire to grossly discredit what is as opposed to intellectually determine that it isn't. There's a difference. It's a difference between fighting that this thing. There is no God. There's no God. There's no God. I don't believe in God. It's different from, you know, let me prove to you that God does not exist. They're not trying to prove to you that he does not exist. They are trying to disprove his existence. And in disproving his existence, you validate for me the existence of the person you are trying to disprove. Because if he's not there in the first place, you will not be so blatantly trying to disprove him. So give me a break. Give me a break. Although they knew him as God, Romans 1, they did not glorify him as God. We know there's a concept called God. We don't believe in it, so we want to disprove it. Want to disprove it. But where's your mind? Bring your mind, put your mind on the table. Let's see and talk. If it's God, why don't you show up now? If you have a mind, bring your mind now. Let your mind show up now. Let's touch it. Let's touch it. Let's feel it. Put your mind on the table. Let's see the color of your mind. Oh no, but when I speak, my mind, oh, and when he speaks, it's not good enough. Only when your mind speaks. Then you realize how fickle man's intellectual capacity is. Very fickle. So as surely as you know your mind exists within you, it's as surely as you know that God exists within you. He enables your mind. And as surely as you know he exists, it's as surely as you know that angels exist. And as surely as you know that angels exist, it's as surely as you know that they exist to serve you. They do. They exist to serve you. His angels have charge over you. So engage it. Don't be insolent. You know what I mean? Don't be insolent. Don't walk around like, yeah, you know, we can't do anything. And you're the loudest, most lousy person on the street. Because angels have, somebody will beat you. (laughs) You and your angel. (laughs) <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying mm-hmm. 
you become reckless. You can go home anytime I like. I have danger. Safe journey. I said something, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago as I round up. I said, don't be quiet, be led. Don't be loud, be led. Don't be a sissy, be led. Don't be a hero, be led. There are times where you are convinced that it is safe and you will hear the voice saying, go away from here now. If you ignore it, you have stepped out of the line of his will and you will pay the price in the earth. You can be saved. You can be a son of God with a black eye. I need to help somebody today before we close. Do you understand? There's nowhere written, sir, that because you are a son of God, somebody will not slap you. They will slap you in Jesus' name. An angel will stand there and tell you in the spirit, you might not hear it because at that point you're in the flesh. So the, the spirit will tell you, sorry, sir. But because you are in the flesh and you are fuming and you are angry, you will not hear the sorry. The angel will tell you, sir, but he, our boss, warned you, sir. And again, because you are in the flesh, you won't hear it. Because at the time the Holy Spirit says to you, drop now. Angelic activity is activated to undergird your obedience. In other words, an angel will not be there hanging around and doing stuff because you expect, you know what, I don't care. I got this. Because angels do his bidding. His bidding is contained in his will. His will is contained in his sons. So to enjoy angelic ministration and, and, and service, you are walking inside the remit of his will. Do you understand? So you now get up and you go where God didn't send you. Disobeying flagrantly divine instruction. If God shows you mercy, that's God. Who. But don't blame anybody for what befalls you. So the sum total of all of this boils down to the same thing. Be led. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Be led. Don't be found where you ought not to be. Don't be caught up in what you're not supposed to be caught up in. But you see, the beautiful thing of us as sons is that we will never be stranded. He'll catch you. You'll be chastised though. Because he loves you. You know, so we have forgotten that there is New Testament chastisement. <laughs> Whom the Father loves. It's not Old Testament, sir. New. It's very, very new. It's so new. You can't hear the letter on it. Tear letter. It's very. The testament is so new. You'll be chastised in the New Testament. And hopefully that from the chastisements you receive sense as a son. And not put yourself in harm's way. But it's reassuring to know that at no point in your walk on the earth are you by yourself. At no point. At no point. I said this last week, I believe. You're, not, you're never alone. 
never, ever alone. Never, ever alone. There's always backup. Oh, Papa, what happens when with all this backup stuff happens? It's either you ignored what was led, what you were led in, or there was a purpose behind that pain. And I've taught this extensively in this house. It, it, it had to happen to teach you something, or you were just flagrant and you ignored the leading. Next week, we'll continue the series, Imitate, and start to deal with the submission and obedience of Jesus and the apostles. So now we imitate the benefit, the privilege of Jesus, his ambassadorial privilege, his sonship privilege, his privilege of the heirs of the Father, his privilege of angelic ministration. And next week we look at the, the discipleship, the submission and obedience part of Jesus and the apostles. And you see how that ties into this because being led boils down to being submitted. Most times what we're regarding as obedience in church or in our faith is really a walk of submission. Yes, sir. The more we submit, the easier it is to be led. Yes, to, lead, to be led means to be comfortable to follow. Yes, sir. So one who's not comfortable to follow cannot be led. Yeah. One who is not being led stands the risk of many troubles. So it's, it's also easy to see very clearly who is being led. Because you must be comfortable to follow in order to be led. What makes you comfortable to follow is your submission. Only a submitted fellow can follow. Only a follower can be led. A leader cannot be led. If a leader is being led, at the point that leader is being led, the leader is being a follower. So a leader must take a break from being the leader. When it comes to being led, you are being led as a follower, not as a leader. You would have to be a follower who happens to be in a leadership position to be led. Are you hearing me? Again, these are practical principles for living an enriched life as a son of God in the earth. It might not excite you and cause you to shout and jump, but if you're honest enough and receive with meekness this word, it strengthens and develops you for your journey. It does. It arms you with all the practicalities you need to make your walk with God tangible in the earth. We don't have to suffer as much misfortune as we do. It breaks my heart. We don't have to. We don't have to. We don't have to suffer as much misfortune as we do. We don't have to go through as much struggle as we do. Just be led. That's all. It saves you a lot of stress to be led. We yield to your leading, Lord. We know we're safe with you. We're safe in you. We're safe in your instruction. Thank you for your angels that have charge over us. Thank you that to the measure that we come into and accept this understanding, harm and evil.
diminish among us. Thank you, Father, that to the measure that we accept this understanding, the happenstances of evil diminish among us. That as we grow in this knowledge, our statistic for negative conditions and situations begins to reduce. We have no reason to walk into the snare of the enemy. We have no reason to walk into the trap of the evil one because you are able to deliver us from the evil one. The apostle spread that prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3.2. Pray for us that we may be delivered from the evil one. For not all have faith. And so even as you did with them, you are able to deliver us from evil and wicked men. From faithless men. We do not wish them dead because we know that you are able to deliver us from them. So keep us in the path of light. Keep us in the path of your safety. Keep us in the path of your preservation in the earth. That by your leading, by your voice, by our yielding, we are able to take advantage and maximize angelic protection, angelic ministry, strengthening us, ministering to us, holding us up, guiding us safely in the way. That's what you do. That's what you do, God. Guiding us safely in the way. So we declare over us and ours, evil is far from us. For us and ours, evil is far from us. We are guarded from evil. Purse snatching, raping, arm robbery, burglary, battery, domestic violence, sexual violence, emotional violence, psychological violence, exploitation, manipulation, deceit, trickery, cunningness of men. We are delivered from the evil ones. I know you're sending a word ahead of us. I know I can sense it. You're sending a word ahead of us. We are delivered from evil. We are delivered from evil. We are exempt. We are delivered from evil. Every machination of the evil one fails for our sake. Every plotting of the enemy fails for our sake. Every least, every list for evil, every list for evil are blotted out for our sakes. Every conditioning to harm us is erased for our sake. Every. We are the redeemed of the Lord. 
We are the redeemer of the Lord. Malato We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the guarded of the Lord. We are the protected of the Lord. We are the sustained of the Lord. We are the shielded of the Lord. We are the covered of the Lord. We are the secured of the Lord. He's our burglary proof. He's our protector. He guides us in the way. No evil befalls us. In Malatusi Prada no evil befalls us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We are delivered. Yes. Praise God. Please take your seats. Don't take this lightly, people. Don't take it lightly. We are delivered. There's a new dimension of divine protection that we come into. the point of understanding some things cannot happen to us and I say it forcefully some things cannot happen to us and therefore will not Sons, we are delivered from evil. We are delivered from evil. We thank you for it. We give God thanks, everybody. Hallelujah. Amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.